Offside with Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Oh, yes. Caught offside from the suburbs of New York City in an apartment in Brooklyn, New York. Andrew Gunling and J.J. Devaney. Happy Monday to you, brother. It's a happy Monday for us, Andrew. It's a happy Monday for those of our listeners who, who seem to demand Monday podcasts. Not so happy for Frank Lampard. No, it really isn't. Although now, this, was, this was in the works, let's be honest. Well, yeah. I mean, look, we, had, we did an In the Club on Chelsea with Liam Toomey from The Athletic a couple weeks ago, and that was in the wake of them reporting that Chelsea were already mm-hmm. feeling out potential candidates and thinking of, of names that could potentially replace Frank Lampard. That's, that is not a good sign. I would say that is the complete and total opposite of the vote of confidence that you sometimes get from ownership. So this, you're right. The writing was, was clearly on the wall here. If you're uh, if you haven't been checking websites yet or, or whatever today, what we're referencing, Frank Lampard is out as manager of Chelsea after a season and a half in charge. Um, we will go through all elements of this. What's next for Frank? What's next for Chelsea? Was it fair? So on and so forth. Craig Burley, who I'm, I'm almost, I'm horrified by how long it's been since we've had Craig on this show. I don't even know what to say. I feel like it's going to be awkward when we do speak with him again, but he will join us in a few minutes to talk about this and uh, some other issues from around the league. So this is, this is a big one. The big podcast. Uh, Andrew, I, I want to begin our Lampard chat with, um, with, with a tweet I saw this morning from Adam Hurry at Football Clichés. Lampard is the only permanent Chelsea manager since 2004 to get the club statement hat trick, which I think is a hashtag classy touch. So the club statement hat-trick is, thanks for the effort, wish you well for the future, welcome back to Stamford Bridge anytime. So Lampard got all three of those. Now, only one manager in the, in, in the Abramovich era got zero of those. Can I guess? Go. Uh, was it Maurizio Sarri? No, Sarri, he got thanks for the effort. He was wished well for the future, but okay. he wasn't welcome back to Stamford Bridge. See, that's the one I was really focusing on, but you're right. I kind of disregarded the others. Now, Sarri uh, did get 530 words. That was the word count, which is uh, way higher than Frank's at 246 in the okay. statement. Let me think of some other potential candidates. So we've got Avram Grant, which it doesn't feel like it could be him because we were just talking about him being a potential candidate to return. We've got Mourinho who has experienced unbelievable success at that club. Ding, but, ding, ding, okay, ding, 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 ding. He always leaves in a ball of fire. So I Andrew, he was, sense. Andrew, Jose Mourinho got 16 words oh. of a word count. He was, thanks for his, he was not thanked for his effort, not wished well for the future. <laughs> <laughs> but he was welcome back to Stamford Bridge. Now, look at, say, Roberto Di Matteo. He got 186 words, right, in the statement. He was thanked for his efforts. He was not wished well for the future, but he was welcome back because he did bring them old big ears, the European Cup. At Conte... This line, real, real quick, I have to stop you. This line of not being wished well for the future. Now, it can't possibly say in the statement, we do not wish him well. We hope he experiences nothing but failure. Are you just saying that they just disregarded no. saying anything? No, Andrew, you know the classic. We wish... We wish ex-manager well for the future you know when they're sacking him it's that it's not that they don't wish them well but they don't get the wish well for the future part of it okay um so Mourinho, Scolari, Ancelotti, Vias, Boas, Di Matteo and Mourinho again were not wished well for the future although on Mourinho's second sacking he did get a thanks for the effort 
he did not get wished well for the future, but he was welcome back to Stamford Bridge, which I would imagine has changed in the interim. Well, he has returned, just with another club. Yeah, Sarri was, Sarri was tanked for his effort. He was wished well for the future, but he wasn't welcome back. This is important. I'm glad that we got to the bottom of this. <laughs> what a club, though. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll, I'll say this. If there was ever going to be a manager who received the hat trick, it had to be Frank, because they're trying to walk such a delicate tightrope here. He is a stone cold Chelsea legend and it's in both Frank's best interest and the club's best interest to try and do all they can to preserve that it's important I think yeah. and let's for that be to be set in stone he, he got the job because he was a legend largely because of who he was to unite the fan base yeah and um and so you have to you have to it, it's also easier to do this any of this when there are no fans in the ground it's much easier to do it um yeah. so this is a this is a much more gentle removal of a club legend than we've seen in, in other areas. Before we dive more into the meat of, of this, along the lines of Frank's status with the club, I've been going back and forth in my head, and I'm so curious for your opinion on this, of whether or not his legendary status with Chelsea bought him time in the sense of we want to give this guy every chance possible to succeed here, or if it actually cost him time in the sense of this is floundering. Let's cut this off now before things get really ugly. We don't want that with this guy and this club. I, I think it might be the latter, actually. Huh. Um, if, if you consider that things from the, the Athletic, by the way, have been all over this this morning. So we've got to give them credit for the majority of the reporting. Um, they were talking how, about how things had gone south um, from the summer. They were saying that there was a bad mood and a bad feeling at the club from the, from the summer just past. You just think about that, you know, entering into a second season after a, a decent first season. Um, and, and the key figure that emerges from this, Andrew, is uh, Marina Granovskaya, who is um, the link, the direct link between the club and Abramovich. And she was, I mean, as, 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 we, as the turn of the year came around, she was saying, this isn't working and we need to find a replacement. So this has been coming for a few weeks now, uh, certainly in the upper echelons of Chelsea, that's, that's where it's been considered. So the, the question that we always tackle first whenever any manager is fired is the, was it fair question? And with Frank, I feel like, that's a, I feel like it's a little bit complicated um, only because in some ways, I wonder if he was a little bit a victim of his own success. Like, he came into Chelsea last year and expectations were quite low, I would say. They were considered a fringe top four candidate. Some predicted they'd make it. Some predicted they wouldn't. Uh, in but, the end, but, they but, did. But, but hang on, Andrew, hang on. They finished in the top three under Sarri. Right. Do you know what I mean? And it's not like, they, okay, they lost Eden Hazard, but there was an expectation that they would be in the top four again. I don't, in, I don't know that that's true. Oh, I think they were, I think, the top, I think the expectation is exactly what I just said. It was kind of split. Would they or wouldn't they? You can't just brush off losing Eden Hazard like it's, you know, we'll, we'll be okay. We'll be right back here again next year, especially when they were dealing with a transfer ban. I know they have already had Pulisic in, but like he was always going to take time to acclimate, which is exactly what happened when he finally did when at project restart, he was a spectacular success, but it took time. Lampard didn't know how to use him really for the first few months in charge. So like, 
the Hazard loss without replacing it, it was always going to be a bit of an uphill struggle, at least we thought. And so the fact that he got them into the Champions League, I do think Chelsea fans look back on last season as a success. Not just that, but also integrating new young players, Tammy Abraham, Mason Mount. Uh, Tamori looks like he's on his way out, but they're going to make money off of him because of the, the success that he had in his first year with Chelsea. So I think Chelsea fans look back on last season as being a success. And I don't know that everyone thought it was going to go that way coming in. So I think he did, you know, he, he set a little bit of an expectation. And then with what happened during the summer, in terms of the money that they went out and spent, clearly they were in win now mode. And in looking at the landscape of the league, they were probably right to do it because Liverpool have fallen off. City got off to a slow start. Manchester United are coming on strong now, but the league is within reach for a lot of clubs. And Chelsea thought, I'm sure, with that money that we just poured into this side and the success that we had last season that we may not have thought we were going to have, this team is ready. And clearly they are not. And whether that's Lampard's fault, whether that's the incoming transfer's fault, um, who's to say? But only one man can really pay for it, and it's always going to be the manager. Yeah, but I think we can, I think we can say, though, you know, it's, it, I think we can say. I think we can say that this manager at least – and certainly this is how the Chelsea board felt. There was no uh, improvement from last season. The new players were not integrated in a way that was to, to the man at board's liking. I mean, what must they have thought in watching Timo Werner sat on the bench since like practically November? I mean, obviously not completely. He comes no. off, but like being a, a peripheral figure, what must they have thought of that? Like, and, and, and that was the main reason he got the sack was that they're clearly... So, uh, you know, the, the, the players behind the scenes that were talking to the athletic or, or the sources that were talking to the athletics saying they were, uh, and the independent, it's in the independent, I, uh, I, I read that they talked about the, the players being baffled by his tactics, baffled. Mm -hmm. He didn't talk to the players enough, apparently. Some players he didn't talk to at all. We, we talked about this three weeks ago with Liam Toomey. He was not a hands-on manager in, in the way that a lot of modern managers are, at least at the start of their, their careers. He was there. He would interject when he wanted to. He let someone else run the session. That's common, all right? But I would have thought there would be more interaction, and clearly there wasn't. Uh, Petr Cech comes up a lot in, in the reporting about him having to talk to players' agents who were unhappy. There was a lot of unrest in the dressing room. This, this has to fall on the manager. And also... They were irked by the fact he consistently blamed them, consistently blamed uh, the players for poor results. Oh, like uh, we had the, the, the press conference after the Arsenal game. Think about that game. Think how wretched Arsenal were going into that game. Mm -hmm. I mean, Chelsea fans must have been licking their lips, expecting them to batter them. And, and they end up getting turned over. There was no tactical progression, Andrew. You could never tell what he was going to do. He chopped and changed the, the forward line, trying to make things work. And, um, and yeah, it, it, it does come, it falls on his shoulder. Ultimately, it falls on the board's shoulders because, honestly, what did they expect? This was a rookie manager. This was a manager who had gotten the job at Derby through his uncle, Harry Redknapp. He was given that job. He got into the playoffs, fair enough. But even in the playoff final against Aston Villa, he was found to be tactically short. So then you give him one of the biggest jobs in world football. It's absolute insanity. Uh, yeah, and they are, I mean, <laughs> that has bore itself out. I think the most interesting part of it is, like, the tactics are one thing. Um, if you're going to come up short in that area, so be it. He's not the only manager who may not specialize in that part of the game. But you can't be, you can't come up short both there and in your man management. Like, if, if you're going to be that kind of tactic manager that that isn't great there, like, 
you better have great relationships. You yeah. better be a master motivator. You better be somebody that these guys will run through a wall for. And you're right. Some of the reporting from the athletics suggests the opposite. Um, there was also a huge part of, of this was Kepa. So the board were, uh, you know, Granoshkaya in particular was very upset with the fact that there was just this flinging Kepa aside, that there was no effort to work with him, to make him better, to improve him. Now, there's some sympathy. How in can this. that be? I have some sympathy in this. Well, well, you think about it. They've spent in the last three years or two seasons, whatever, like a hundred and something million on a goal on goalkeepers. But you see, when I hear that from the board, like that is what I, that is sometimes what I see as blame deflection. Like they're embarrassed right now because they went out and spent a record sum on a goalkeeper who is clearly not worth that. And so, well, it can't be our fault. Our evaluation can't be wrong. The manager must not have been working with him. That well, to well, me, I, I'm not well, going to hold Kepa's performance as a knock against Lamb. Well, I mean, I mean, Frank. If anything, Frank's been bo- his his reasons in dropping him and and getting in Mendy have been absolutely even at the weekend. They've been vindicated. Of course, I mean, this guy is is not up to it. Or right now, he's not up to it. But the point is, Granovskaya has such a role in the signings. Andrew, she's key in the signing of players. So a player she was involved in getting into the club is not being given a, enough of a, of, a, of a chance. It reflects on her. And um, right. I, she wanted to say to, uh, to Lampard to basically, you know, get on with it. Uh, another one was that they, he, his consistent, uh, I suppose, not protestations, but his, his, his want for Declan Rice, his Rice lust at trying to sign uh, Declan Rice annoyed them, you know. And, and maybe actually that would have been a good signing considering the state of Chelsea's midfield. Maybe that is a signing that needed to be made and wasn't made. And instead, like we often say on this podcast, they furnished the living room while the kitchen was on fire. Yeah, although the, the living room is also now on fire. Like <laughs> we thought, like I get what you're saying in that their attack was, was not bad. And then but they, they loaded up is what and I mean. Then they, right, and then they went out and added to it while sort of ignoring other areas of the team. It's funny because some of those other areas, like we, you know, for months now, we had been saying, will Thiago Silva be enough? You know, will that pairing in the back him, Rudiger, is that, are they going to be exposed there? I think they've, they, maybe they've struggled a little more of late, but overall, I don't know that that's necessarily been the biggest weak spot of the team. I think, you know, like they're, they're still in many ways relying on Giroud. As, as their attacking player. Who would have ever thought that would be the case when Werner and Havertz and these guys and these and Ziyech are being brought in? But but I, I think last season, and I'm, you know, I'm not giving us praise, but like Giroud did link things together. And Giroud's talked about, about Pulisic himself. Like when Giroud and Pulisic played together, uh, they kind of looked decent. They kind of, in the 1-1 draw with Villa in that first half, it was basically the Pulisic-Chilwell and Giroud showed down the left-hand side they were, Giroud would drop short, Pulisic would combine with him, go beyond him, play Chilwell in. There was the kernel of an idea, of a tactic in there. Um, and Giroud's actually been, I think he's been really good whenever he's got the chance for them, including that game at Sevilla. If anything, Frank's failure was not to recognize this is the way I need to go, stop chopping and change and just go with that. At least that's working, kind of. Yeah, how much of this do you think uh, Frank getting the axe here? How much is he sort of a victim of, of circumstance also in that lots of extreme changes, you know, wholesale changes to the club in a period of time where it's a little bit maybe a little more difficult to work in new players, 
um, with some social distancing restrictions, things like that. Uh, you know, could that have had any impact? Could that have lengthened the amount of time that this transition was going to take? Uh, yeah, I wonder if there's if there could potentially be some of that um, because Sorry. it did. It, this did take longer. I, I think we all knew. Okay, that's a lot of changes at once, um, especially when Havertz came down with COVID and and by all accounts had a fairly yeah bad case of it. Took him a while to to reacclimate after that. Uh, so you know maybe some of it is down to a little bit of unfortunate circumstance for Frank. I, I, I'm, I wouldn't go down that road. I think there were decisions made along the way. Like, for example, Werner was hitting some stride in around October and November. you got to keep him in the team. You know, when things are, are falling off, that's the last thing you need. So, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm not willing to give. No, you're really not. I'm not willing to give too you've, much you've on been, this. You've been very hard on this guy for a while. Yeah, because I don't think he should have got the job in the first place. Okay, so now we've gotten to the heart of it. No, I don't think he should have got the job in the first place. I think he was lucky to be Derby County manager, to be perfectly honest. Uh, all right, JJ, like we mentioned, uh, to continue this conversation now on this morning's breaking news of Frank Lampard being out at Chelsea, we are joined by an old friend of the program back on now, Craig Burley. Craig, what's up, man? How are you? Yeah, not too bad, boys. And can we just clear this up that you didn't call me this morning because Lampard has been sacked. We right. we, we we arranged this. We arranged this before we had the news. So yes. obviously, uh, it's what you know. It's morning time here in in the East Coast, and yeah, I just sort of woke up to the news an hour or two ago. So uh, yeah, uh, the only surprising thing is is that it's came after this game. I thought it would have came after the Leicester game. I think. I think Frank Lampard himself thought it was going to probably come after the Leicester game, but uh, what we were hearing and what I heard from a couple of people in London was that it, it was only a matter of time. So that's Chelsea, man. That's the way they do the business. Craig, it was it was the only decision to make, really, because they bought in all these players. You can't sack all the players. You're not going to change the board. It, it was the only thing to do, correct? Yeah, I mean, an ideal world, I, I think you want to see every manager go to the end of the season to see if they can turn it around. But, uh, you know, and we, you know, only a few weeks ago, everybody was jumping on, on Mikel Arteta and then he went out, he got three straight victories off the back of talk about him getting sacked. And, you know, I think with Lampard, the precarious position was the club he was at and the way that the decisions are made by effectively one man and a few rolls out of bed on the wrong side, you're in trouble. And so once they spent all that money in the summer, the pressure was really ramped up. Uh, I mean, he's not a stupid guy. He would have known that Lampard, but, you know, it's, it's mm. and I don't disagree with the decision. I mean, what I, what I would say is that Chelsea wanted to go down a different route. They wanted to bring in a younger, less experienced manager. They wanted to give... And to paraphrase some soul back to the club by, you know, uh, bringing through some of the younger players which they have and, and go from there. And, and this is a club that just, whenever it makes a decision to go down a certain route, when it goes wrong, they just completely do a 360 and go the other way. So, you know, that's why you can never buy into anything that Chelsea would be sitting in an interview to be the manager and being told, look, we're going down this route of, you know, bringing younger players in, getting the old guard out, giving some homegrown talent a chance, and this is what we're going to do. You can never believe them because uh, 
at the first sign of trouble, they're they're probably going to fire you. And and you know, I, I don't think Lampard can have too many complaints, primarily because of the club he's at. Yeah, along those lines, I'm curious. You know, it, Chelsea, it's a glamour club. You know, London, big money, big name players. They'll back you in the transfer window. But a job like Chelsea. Is that if you're a manager out there, is that a desirable job or is it kind of one that you might want to avoid if you have other options for some of the reasons that you're mentioning? Well, you know, I think it's still a desirable job because, I mean, you look at the playing squad and, okay, you can talk about tactics and, and, and balance. And you, it doesn't seem that long ago that, that Chelsea were top of the league. It's strange to be talking about this, that they were top of the league and they took their second team to Seville and absolutely thrashed them 5-0 with a second 11. I think at that time, Lampard had no injuries on the treatment table, none. He had a fully fit squad. And you looked at that squad and you thought, wow, wow. He's made 11 changes, I think it was, and they walloped Se Se Sevilla in Spain. And at that point, you thought, right, there's an assault on the Premier League coming here. And somewhere down the line, guys, it's just completely... Uh, fallen flat. I think it started before Everton, but I think Everton away was a big catalyst when they dominated possession but did play well and, and Mendy made a big mistake. The goalkeeper has been excellent and it, it just sort of unraveled from there and <clears throat> you know, you couldn't you couldn't pick the Chelsea team if Frank Lampard was, was, was managing it at the moment because he just, he, he just wasn't sure what his best 11 was. Craig, um, Thomas Tuchel so it's out of the frying pan and into the fire for Tuchel. His last job, PSG, and it looks as if he's going to be appointed in the next 24 hours as Chelsea manager. What do you make of this? Is this a good fit? Um, Tuchel's CV is a bit, I mean, it's a bit up and down. Um, is this the right thing to galvanize the team, maybe get some of the, the formerly German-based players playing? Possibly, JJ, possibly. I, I, I'm personally not convinced this guy's the the sort of innovator that he's meant, meant to be and all this sort of nonsense that we hear. Mm. Uh, personally, I, I, you know, if I'm looking at a manager who I think knows the league and tactics and everything inside out and has got the badge, I, I like Brendan Rodgers. I, I really do. And, you know, we can talk about, you know, the, the innovators from Germany and Spain and and all this, uh, what he's done, and even at Liverpool, you know, it unraveled at the end, but my God, it was spectacular for a long time before it... I mean, they should have won the league. We know that. They, yeah. That Roger side should have won the league. It was... They played some amazing stuff and it just... Whatever happened, it imploded at the end. But, you know, the job he's, he's done whenever he's been, you know, be it Swansea and, 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 and Liverpool and, 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 and Celtic and now Leicester has been... It's been incredible, really. And... and that would have been the route I had I been had he been available, and I don't know if conversations took place. Uh, that would have been where I would have been looking. Uh, I've heard all this stuff about well, getting the German players. And all, you know, <laughs> football's a universal language. We know that. I mean, this is what I think. I think we're trying to delve too deep into it now. When it's like when we read stories about we want a German speaking or we want a Spanish speaking, we just want people that can understand players and the games because that, that's what it's all about so we'll see we'll see if that's the route they go down it looks like it is and uh, the pressure's all going to be in his shoulders now Craig I'm curious uh, with Frank 
So what happens next with him? Does he now, just by the nature of having had this job, does he sort of like kind of get redispensed into the managerial merry-go-round and he'll now pop up at another club and then move on and then go to another club? Or does he kind of have to like take a step back here, maybe work in the media for a little bit, maybe uh, you know, go back down into the, into the championship or another league and, and rehabilitate his image? Where does he go next? Yeah, I mean, I, we always see these managers getting out and, and sometimes jumping back in too quickly uh, and, and making the wrong decision. I, I think a perfect example would be someone that's much more experienced, and I would say David Moyes. You know, D- David Moyes might not be everybody's cup of tea, but he did a pretty good job at Everton for a decade plus. Uh, and then once he was sacked at Man United, uh, I-, I think made some some really hasty decisions in the desperation to get back in. I mean, Real Sociedad was always going to be tough. Sunderland as a cancer, as a club, and and it makes you look bad. And it's only now that he's starting to rebuild that stock again. So I, I think wherever these managers go, and there's no doubt Lampard will pop back up somewhere at some time, it has to be the right decision, or otherwise it has a longer-term damage. Because, listen, getting sacked, guys, isn't the be-all and end-all, because mm. I think Ferguson, Sir Alex Ferguson was sacked once, or at least once in his career early on. I'd say uh, Mirren. And I think, yeah. So it, it, it's, it's about making the right decisions when the next job comes up. Listen, he did a great job at Derby. He was there for a year and they got him, they got him to the playoff final, which is, as you guys know, in that league, it's a, it's a real bear pit in the championship. There's a lot of games. And so that was a really good job. Uh, but it's, it's fallen flat for whatever reason. It, it, it happens. It happens. And, and look, people are pointing to Arteta given time, but that's Arsenal. People are talking to, and I don't agree with this necessarily, people are talking about how this Ole Gunnar Solskjaer has turned everything around. We, I'm still not convinced. We have half, okay, they're playing better, but we have half the season still to go. I, I, I'm still not convinced that, that Solskjaer is this great manager that all of a sudden everybody thinks he's turned out to be. And, and so we, we we just don't know uh, what's around the corner. Craig, um, last one from me. I, I've, I've got to bring this up, and it's, it's difficult, but I'm going to do it. So there's a trend happening here amongst Craig Burley's ex-clubs. Derby County can't right. pay their players, right? They're in serious bother. Glasgow Celtics somehow are managing to blow the 10 in a row. And now we've got this mess at Chelsea. How much responsibility do you take for all this? Well, it's funny you say that because uh, actually they didn't, they didn't pay me Derby at one point when I was there, but that was that was more a sort of uh, negotiating tactic for a payoff. But uh, <laughs> it's funny you should say that because uh, at one, do you, do you remember? JJ might not remember this. You, you'll definitely remember. Uh, do you remember the big-selling newspaper that Rupert Murdoch had called the News of the World? Yes, mm-hmm. New, News of the Screws they called it. Yes, it was. It, it wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but it was big. And it was a splash. Well, I, I used to write columns for years and years. I started in the Sunday Times. Uh, and then I went to the, the, the Sunday Mail or somewhere else. And then I got, I got, I got an offer to, to be uh, a weekly columnist in the News of the World. And uh, within six months, I think it was, of, of me beginning 
becoming a columnist there, the whole paper shut down. <laughs> <laughs> right. And Davy Proven, Davy Proven, the Sky Sports commentator and long time, I mean long time news of news of the world columnist. There was two of us on a Sunday. Mm. Uh, Davy rang me and he says, Burley, you're a jinx. He said you were at Satanta's he said you were at you were at Dundee it went bust. You were at Satanta Sports it went bust. He said, You're six months into joining the news of the world. This paper's been going for a hundred years or whatever it is. He said, And you've joined six months later, the whole paper shut down. So I was like <laughs> I can't argue. So yeah. The answer is it looks like I'm a little bit of a jinx boys, but uh how about the fact you know, that Scotland they, just qualified for the European Championships? I mean, that's got to be something. Well, yeah, actually, that's right. My old, I actually, uh, I actually, uh, I texted Davy Clark, the manager, because he's an old uh, teammate of mine at uh, Chelsea. I texted him the day after uh, they qualified, and I said he should be knighted for getting that squad to the uh, to the Euros. He, and he, he sent me back a very politically correct uh, reply. He didn't say, "Yeah, I agree" or anything like that. So uh, he just said thanks. But yeah. So somebody's got, somebody might take away my crown as the uh, as the last Scotland player to score. I'm, I'm, I must get this right. The last men's Scotland player to score a major championship or be sent off. So somebody <laughs> may take that crown from me, boys, in the summer if the Euros goes ahead yeah. uh, because of this pandemic. Uh, Craig, last one for me. I know we've been talking about Chelsea, but we're at roughly the midway point of the season here for most teams. Um, the, the league title feels wide open right now. Do you have any sense of who the favourite should be? Even without, even with the news that De Bruyne is out, I, I still see City as the uh, as the best team at the moment. Um, you know the way that they cuffed. Chelsea, the way that they disposed of Man United in the cup uh, was effortless. Obviously, De Bruyne is a blow. And, and they're doing this, guys, without a striker, really. I mean, they've played most of the season without a striker. Aguero's hardly played. Mm. Uh, I still see them as the favourites. I know everybody's jumping on this Man U bandwagon at the moment. But I think what Man U are doing, and, and Man U fans get, get really horribly upset by anybody who suggests that, that they're not the greatest team ever now or he's the greatest manager. I think they're taking, and I don't blame them, I mean there's no criticism here but they're taking advantage of two sitting ducks, right? Mm. And what I mean by that is the last three years what Liverpool and Manchester City did was incredible. I mean mm. it, it, was, it would blow you away and Clearly, there's been a huge drop-off from those two, clearly, uh, particularly Liverpool. And they're taking advantage of that. So it's not that it's not that Man United have all of a sudden become a great team. It's the fact that everybody's scrapping around trying to pick the scraps up of what City and Liverpool are leaving behind. And and that includes your side, Tottenham, as well. I mean, they're, they're, mm-hmm. they're hovering around, as are Leicester. Uh, but I think that's... that's it's not... And, I know United fans get kind of upset. I don't know why they get upset. It's, 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 it, you watch the games. You, I mean, you watched that game yesterday. I'm sure you watched the game yesterday, boys. It's not, yeah. it's not that United are all of a sudden this great side. It's, it's that you know, Liverpool are not doing what they did. They're, 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 sort of, they're playing some really good stuff at times that, as they did yesterday. 
and they're just not killing teams off. And they're giving teams an opportunity. And I think that's what United have done for me, uh, better than anybody at the moment, is they're picking the scraps up of what's been sort of left by the two best teams in the Premier League, are Liverpool and City, for me. They're just, the two of them have their own issues. And it's maybe going to come down to who can pick the scraps up. That, that doesn't necessarily mean that, A, United have a great manager, or two, United have a great team. Uh, it could be the fact that Liverpool and City implode by their very, very high standards, and that 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 looks like what may happen. But I still, I still, guys, feel that City, and I don't think Liverpool. Are, I, I wouldn't buy into that Liverpool can't turn this around, uh, but they're gonna have to refine that mojo. I don't. I wouldn't say, oh, there's not a chance Liverpool will win the league now. You know, if they put five, six, seven straight victories together, it, it wouldn't be a surprise. It just it could turn on a dime. But we, we just last year and the, the last couple of years you knew exactly what you were getting, JJ, when Liverpool turned up. Yeah. You just you just you're just not quite sure at the moment. And obviously they've got big problems at the back. You know, they're they're, they're a little blunt up front. Uh they're having to play centre midfielders at centre half. Uh, even the goalkeepers looking a bit shaky at times. I mean, I, he he should not have been that far over to his right hand side for that free kick. The wall, the wall was protecting the right side. He should have been more over to the left side, and so he got caught out. So he, even even he's been a little suspect. Uh, the fullbacks haven't been brilliant either. So it's it, it's be a big turnaround. But I still I still think Liverpool could turn it around. You just. You just never know. The, the mojo might come back in the second half of the season, and, and everything could bunch up again. We, but but I would say City at the moment are still probably looking at how their defence is operated, looking at how they've dealt with lack of strikers. If they can deal with De Bruyne but now, I think they'll be the team to beat this year. Well, good stuff, Craig. It should be an interesting race uh, over these next few months to, to close things out. We hope to catch up with you again at some point between now and the end of the season. Thanks, man. Good to hear from you. Okay, boys. Take care. Our thanks to Craig Burley. Nice to have him on uh, the show again, JJ. Yeah, thanks great to hear from him and, uh, and, and his cursed clubs. <laughs> you, are, but le- you are so you. You can't help but be you, the way you manipulate you know, formulate your arguments. You find all these bad things. And then meanwhile, Scotland are, are in the Euros and it's just like this, this great, beautiful, joyous thing that you have conveniently left out. It's, yeah, that's true. It's I, am, I, am, I, am a, I am a completely duplicitous man. But, um, <laughs> there we are. Yeah, Frank's a couple of fun. Me- Franks uh, for the memories, Andrew. You've been, the way you've been holding on to that, I can't tell you how many podcasts when JJ and I, we, we finish up recording and we're thinking of different names for, for the titles and you've been, you've just been like had that in your holster and it's like you've been excited for this moment so we could finally title the podcast Franks for the Memories. You're so proud of yourself for that pun. It's, it's like, um, yeah, it's, it's, I've been holding on to it so much. By the way, could just, just a quick one to go back to the start of the podcast. When ESPN eventually get rid of us, will we get the, will we get the, the statement? Will we get the three, will we get the statement hat trick? Will they welcome us back in Connecticut anytime, at Bristol anytime? Will they thank us for our effort? So of the three choices, yes. um, I do not believe we will be 
welcomed back. <laughs> I do believe we will be thanked for our effort because I think even an, even someone who despises us and what we do, and I'm not saying that's what how ESPN feels about us. I'm just saying even <laughs> even our biggest detractor, I think, can at least see that we try hard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I think that we will be thanked for our effort. Will we be wished well for the future? Don't. Yeah. Yes, I think I think that's always the the token of what you can expect to see in a statement, unless you truly hate the man or woman that's departing the job. I don't think anyone hates Eddie. No one should hate us. We've never had any negative interactions with anybody. So yeah, I think we could get two of the three, but we will, no, we will not be welcomed back. Our key cards will be taken and, and our pictures will be placed around campus uh, to ensure that we are not seen back there. Final things on Frank, JJ. Uh, you mentioned, we didn't really talk much about Tuchel, but you, we mentioned him with, um, mm. with Craig there. Uh, you mentioned the German players. I know Craig, he, he seemed to dismiss that a little bit, that Tuchel's appointment could have had something to do with getting through to those German players. Uh, I, I am a little bit more skeptical on that. I think that, that, again, like we were just talking about before, with the way the board viewed the Kepa signing, how that was an embarrassment for them, I think that they right now are probably embarrassed by Werner and Havertz specifically, um, and the way that they've performed so far this season. And maybe uh, it would not shock me if they were of the belief that getting a German voice in to head up that club to get through to those two specifically, uh, to think that that was not a priority in their mind. You look at the other managers that were spoken to before Tuchel, but the reports are that he was the third. The others uh, were who, JJ? Was it uh, Nagels? Ju- Ju- Julian Nagelsmann. Right. Which would have been my, I mean, that, that is the choice. And ultimately, he may be the manager. He may end up being the manager mm-hmm. at Chelsea uh, down the line. And uh, the man who's basically masterminded much of the way we see European football these days, Ralph Rangnick, right. um, who was the uh, Orby Leipzig Supremo, was offered it on an interim basis. So obviously, Rangnick is more of a kind of a, he's a, he's a director of football, He's more of a, how would you put it, an executive uh, rather than a, a, a manager. But he was offered it on a part-time basis, which I think would be a way to lure him into Chelsea and then subsume him into the body of Chelsea and for him to kind of revamp the club in the image of the other clubs that Chelsea clearly want to be. But this idea that it's purely a coincidence that the only three managers that by, from what we've heard that they've reached out to were German, two of whom were from Timo Werner's for, uh, former club at RB Leipzig. Like, are we supposed to just take that as a coincidence? I'm not, not saying that those, I'm not saying that those guys aren't qualified on their own merits to have this job, but it's a not lot a of guys are. Yeah. It's, not, it's not a coincidence. It, ca- it can't be. And, um, you know, they, don't forget, this is a manager who in, or an owner in the past who has always gone or attempted to go for what's the hot new product? Who, who is the guy when old man Renieri and his tinkerman ways weren't working out? Who was the young, sexy, fresh guy who was winning trophies in Europe with unfashionable Porto? The name on everybody's lips was Mourinho. So he got him. Same with, uh, for a brief period, Andre Villas-Boas. Mm-hmm. You know, when big Phil Scalari was still hot and he came. You know, Maurizio Sarri. Oh, Sarri ball. Look at the way Napoli played. Let's sign him. So this is a guy who's been moved by, by waves and by trends all the way. And that's the way Chelsea are. They're a reactive club. And I think they would like to build something. So them talking to Ralph Ragnick kind of makes 
makes sense to me that they would like to build something like that for the long term. But anyway. Last note on this also, there's one other player that I thought of when I saw the Tuchel was brought in to Chelsea. And that is, of course... Christian Pulisic. Yeah. Uh, who on the face of it will, will welcome this. You would um, think so. Who had glowing things to say about the manager, even though, you know, he, he endured ups and downs with Tuchel. Tuchel was responsible for giving him his debut, uh, his senior debut. He, he nursed him through. But, I mean, ultimately... Um, you know, I, I wonder will he? I wonder will he want something fresh, new, rather than go back to the to what he used to know? Or maybe he needs to, maybe he wants that security right now of something he knows. It hasn't worked out with something he did, didn't know. I don't know. Yeah. Back in 2017, um, when Tuchel was leaving Borussia Dortmund, Christian Pulisic said this to Bundesliga.com. He said, "I'm just very thankful for everything Tuchel did for me. Tuchel always trusted me and gave me a chance." Christian Pulisic, of course, got his debut with Borussia Dortmund in 15-16 when Tuchel was there. Yeah, so, so it's yeah, that will be interesting. I would think that Pulisic would probably not hate the fact that a familiar face who knows what he can do, um, who, who gave him his start, I, I think that Christian Pulisic would probably be in favor of this. And I don't know, would it shock you? You hear about Chelsea and the board going to players' agents and asking them for their thoughts. Would it shock you if you found out that they went to Pulisic's agent and, and he said, you know, they said that Tuchel would be somebody that Christian would like to have here? That wouldn't necessarily shock me. Well, no, Czech has been talking to everyone's agent. So right. yeah. it wouldn't shock me at all. Czech and, Czech and, um, and the director uh, have been in contact uh, with the players and their agents throughout this process, throughout maybe that's maybe Lampard was undermined by it. There was yeah. there was talk that he would have walked away in the summer, um, if it wasn't Chelsea. He couldn't walk away from Chelsea. So. And finally, I asked Craig this, but I want to hear what your thoughts are. I have a feeling, just knowing your sensibilities on Lampard, that you'll be of the belief that he should probably go back to non-league football. But I'm wondering no. where you think that uh, – that, don't get angry. I see that. JJ is he's staring daggers at me right now for just a harmless joke. Where do you think that Frank goes next year? Uh, there'll be a club um, that, takes a, that takes a punt on him. Um, he's got uh, one of the most – uh, maybe not influential, but most heard voices as a cousin on Sky Sports regularly. He'll be in his corner. He has his uncle, um, Harry Redknapp, as well. He's got multiple connections around football. There will be a job for Frank. Um, I, my reservation was the rise to the top was just the epitome of, of football connections and, and footballing privilege. Um, that you know, from, Right from Derby all the way up um, to Chelsea. I say all the way up within a season. So um, that's my criticism of it. I actually, in terms of meeting a person, I don't think I've met a, a nicer person, a, a person who's given me more time. There's no high profile player that I've ever been in the media room with since I moved here that's given me more time than him. None. Mm -hmm. um, and that, that includes Thierry Henry. So uh, I like the guy on a personal level, but there'll be a job for him, Andrew. I, and, and I honestly don't think he won't, it, it, it'll be in the championship. I think he'll be uh, he'll wait around for a Premier League job. You think so? Yeah. And by the way, I, I, like maybe he did not do a good job here, but like he should be able to work again. Like, you know, <laughs> this should not no, be the end of his career if he yeah, wants no to manage again. No one said that, but there is a, you know, like look at the manager replacing him. Where did he start? He didn't suddenly get jettisoned into Borussia Dortmund to become manager. You know, there was a kind of a. You serve your time. You learn on the job. You don't just suddenly become a coach with all these ideas. 
none of the managers that have the top managers right now just suddenly became managers um, with the, with the exception, not everyone is going to do a Zidane, you know, that's not, that's not going to be the case. Um, you know, Tuchel started at Mainz. That's, that's the difference. And when that job offer came from Ipswich, Frank should have taken it. Well, there you go. Frank's for the memories indeed. Right. We got to move on, man. Come on. A couple other things here that we do want to talk about. We, uh, we talked a little bit about uh, with Craig, the FA cup and, um, Boy, we really got a game from Liverpool and Manchester United in the Cup that we did not get in the league. 3-2 is your final. Um, pretty exciting game, JJ. I'm sorry how it turned out for you, but for the neutrals, exciting nonetheless. No, it was a good game. I thought, uh, I thought United played a bit more football in the first half than they had in, in the previous game, and uh, I thought they were good at times. I thought Liverpool, even though United scored the goal, the mistake from Reese Williams, I thought Liverpool dominated the second half uh, and, and played better, if not back to what they were, um, but better, certainly better than the last few weeks. And um, look, when you have a game changer like Bruno Fernandes to take a free kick like that, that was literally the, the, the first time they got up the field in about 20, 25 minutes. It was sustained Liverpool pressure. And, um, and it was a brilliant goal from, from Fernandes. And also Rashford's ball, I should mention, for, Inch perfect. for, for the Greenwood uh, goal was very good. So United showed what they can do in the, in, on the break in broken play. They're... They're very good, but right now the word I'd use for them is efficient, and um, that's something Liverpool are not. Yeah, a couple interesting notes on this one. Um, Jurgen Klopp is still yet to win at Old Trafford, um, which given all of Liverpool's recent success was a little bit surprising to me. Liverpool have also failed to reach the fifth round of the FA Cup in five of the last six seasons, which, again, given their recent success, was a little surprising to Not me. so much a surprise when you look at the way Klopp views cup competitions, but um, yeah. No, I guess, but I'm not asking him to win it. Just no, no. no I'm just saying the fifth round they can't yeah. get to. I mean, there, there, have, there have been priorities elsewhere, I guess. Uh, and then uh, you mentioned Bruno Fernandez with the winner in this one. What a season it continues to be across all competitions. He's got 25 goal involvements right now. That's tied for third most in Europe's top five leagues. Behind, care to guess? Goal involvements. Yeah. So assists plus goals. Uh, behind uh, Son. No. Kane. Yes. Kane is first with 33. Second. Hyunmin Son. Robert Lewandowski with 32. Oh, Lewandowski. All right, okay. Um, actually, since, uh, since Bruno Fernandes made his debut for United last February, no other player at a Premier League club has scored more than his 28 goals. He is, I mean, for a while, I guess I would have said he's a one-man wrecking crew, although that's a little bit unfair to Manchester United. We've seen Pogba emerge, uh, Rashford. Cavani's like said, been brilliant. Yeah, but, the, but Andrew, he makes the whole thing tick. There's no United fan would even suggest otherwise. Oh, no, um, uh, absolutely. No, he's... And that's fine. Like I wouldn't, I'm not even meaning that as an insult. He's sensational. He's yeah. a great player. So that's, that's normal for your great players to be great. Like, yeah, that's, it's not a knock on the club. It's just, he's, I'm kind of using it as a way to prop him up. I will say this about United. Um, you know, Craig was throwing a little bit of cold water on them. Uh, I, I wonder if what they're doing is truly sustainable. Now they're playing well, like you said, they've been efficient, but, I'm going to, I want to just take you back here from Christmas to now. And I know that's an arbitrary starting point because right before Christmas, they put six up on leads. Um, but let's start at Christmas. Uh, so December 26th, two, two against Leicester. After mm-hmm. that one nil win over Wolves. After that on January 1st, a two, one win over Villa. Uh, then lost to Manchester city in the league cup semifinal. Then in the FA cup third round, one nil over Watford. 
Then back in the league on the 12th, 1-0 win over Burnley, that late Pogba goal. Then the 0-0 against Liverpool. Then a 2-1 against Fulham, another late Pogba goal. Yeah. And then this, a 3-2 win over United. JJ, all of those games have something in common. They were either ties or one-goal wins, with the exception of the one loss in the League Cup to City. Right. So they are finding ways to get results, which is good. That's how you stay in title chases, and, and in some cases, that's how you win them. But you also do run the risk of that catching up with you at some point. Sure, but um, I, I think you can't look at what Liverpool did at periods last season where they, they got the results, they ground out results, and then look at United and say, oh, well, I mean, that's eventually going to fall apart. It, it, it may very well do that, and it, that may be what they need to react to. Can they come back? Like, if they hit a, if they hit a wobble, we don't know how this side will react. But for now, um, efficiency is the key word. That's what they've been. And, um, and also, you can't, like, they're winning a league that's um, suited for them, as Craig pointed out. It, it's suited for them to be good now because of the fall off in the other teams and the, the nature of the league. And you can't criticize United for, for um, taking advantage of that. No, of course not. No. Uh, and then before we move on, um, I do want to mention on Liverpool, you know, it's funny, they lose 3-2, but... I would say that for a team that's in poor form, you kind of look for these moments to grab onto and think, okay, that's a sign of some hope. Um, the second goal in particular for Liverpool, watching that, the way Milner kind of let it run for Salah, who finished perfectly. Mm. You see moments like that and you think, there, that's, that's it. But I, 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 would, I would just say that, Andrew, that is uh, in, in this season of low block, where it's not just United that are doing, utilizing it, lots of teams are. In this season of low block, United, crazy. Why they didn't go longer on kickouts when Liverpool have a centre-back that's struggling? Get up and compete um, against Reese Williams. There was an avenue for progression there. Why they tried to play through the Liverpool press, they play out from the back. It, 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 for once, they forgot who they were playing and Liverpool were able to become what they used to be. They win the ball back, they, they create the chaos in the United defence and it's a really good goal. You're right. If, if, team, if more teams come out and play like that against Liverpool, you're going to see Liverpool click into form. Of that, I am, I am convinced. But they're not going to. In their last seven games in all competitions, they've won just one of them. And that was an FA Cup third round against Aston Villa's mm. like B or C team when COVID was kind of running through that club. Uh, one win, three draws, three losses. It's um, a little bit – I mean, they're still in it, but it's a little bit unrecognizable from the Liverpool we've, we've gotten to know under Klopp. Yeah, and some of it is some of its fine margins. Uh, Daniel Zakari in the Telegraph had a good article where he said, uh, "We should not forget that in a mark of this bizarre season, Liverpool are still the league's top goal scorers and have produced the highest expected goals total." While there are still features of Liverpool's play to analyse, you cannot avoid the conclusion that wretched luck has played a part in the recent drought. Now, I think it's more than wretched luck, but that is part of it. Um, I, I mentioned the low block. Look at the production fall off from Robertson and Trent Alexander-Arnold. The, the endless crossing to no one, um, movement to the front three. And, um, and you know, there's a fall off uh, that could come from fatigue from just the way that Jurgen Klopp's side play. It's a different season now. And um, we have to see whether United can come back or Liverpool can, can pick it up and, uh, and get back to where they were. I think they can. I would agree with Craig on that. But it's not going to be that easy. And, and especially if the board don't address getting a centre half. You know, we saw the limits of playing a guy who was at Kidderminster Harriers last season at centre-back against a good forward line like United's. It's not Reese williams fault. There's, there's a dirt of players in there. And um, 
And they've got to make a decision, the board now, um, in this late hour, whether they're going to go and try and get some help in for Jurgen Klopp. A couple other quick thoughts from the weekend with the FA Cup. Arsenal go out of the FA Cup at the hands of Southampton. Southampton's really good season continues um, now manifesting itself with a, a nice little tournament run here. I know somebody had written to us, JJ, that we should do a uh, Southampton in the club. And I feel like that's, that's kind of crystallizing. I feel like maybe that, that should happen. Maybe I'll set that up for next week then. Wow. Here we go. Just planning shows on the fly. This is beautiful. Um, <laughs> I, I would imagine for Arsenal in a, in a season that they were kind of hoping to like regather itself around this time, they were playing a little bit better of late. Um, you know, the, obviously winning the league has kind of, that's not going to happen. And it, it's feeling more and more like top four is a pipe dream as well. So I would think that like a cup run here would have been something that they really would have relished this. I would imagine that going out at this stage of, the, of this tournament, hurt them more than it would like a Liverpool or some other club. Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's the trophy that they are, you know, that they're trying to retain. And uh, in a bleak season for them, they want some, some rays of hope. Um, I got to be honest, Andrew, I didn't even watch this game. Mm. You know, there's some games and you just look at it. You're like Southampton versus Arsenal in this never ending season of football, this kind of tie in the cup, I'm just not going to watch, but I am going to give rays of joy and of hope and of light for Arsenal fans, they saw their once great hope, Mesut Ozil, depart in the last few days. And there's someone else coming into the club that they should get excited about. Fabrizio Romano saying that the Martin Odegaard transfer, not transfer, loan until June 2021 is confirmed. There's a no-buy option on it. Um, but United are going to get a player that was one of La Liga's best players at Real Sociedad last season, Andrew. Um, can I just give you a, a few stats before we, of course. Before we uh, move on? Uh, Odegaard is a decisive playmaker in the final third. I read, this, I read this in the summer and I had to go searching from it. And this is from AS. He's the player with the most balls into the penalty area, 189 with 106 of those hitting their intended target. That's a 56% success rate. Amongst the 10 players with the most passes into the area, just Trippio, Trippier and Parejo come close to the Norwegian. Um, another stat by Instat that really uh, stands out from this piece um, is that of line-breaking passes. Now, I want you to think of the Arsenal attack as I read this to you. Mm -hmm. Line-breaking passes where you pass to a teammate in a goal-scoring position or pass through the defence. Odegaard find him, finds himself at the top end of that table too. Only Messi with 143 is better than the Norwegian who had 90 of the passes of such passes, which are the line-breaking pass. He's a country mile ahead of Jesus, uh, Jesus, Jesus Navas in third place with 65. The first player on Madrid's team that appears on the list is Benzema with 47. That was last season. That's how good this guy is, Andrew. This is a big signing for Arsenal, a signing that should make the fans happy. Yeah, I would think so. Um, he is, like you kind of detailed there, he is sort of what they've been missing. But, can, but exactly. So someone who can pick out the Lacazettes who can pick out right. the Obama Yangs who can do the things that haven't been happening um, for this team. Now, hopefully, uh, you know, this guy has been talked about since he made his debut at 15. Didn't he? Isn't he the youngest ever Norwegian international, like 15 years old? They played him in a senior game. So, I mean, there's so much talk about him. He wanted to stay at Sociedad. Ideally, Real Madrid weren't going to allow that. So Arsenal was his preference after that. Um, this, is, this is exciting. This is one signing that Arsenal have made where you're like, this is a good idea. Yeah, except that the temporary nature of it 
maybe throws a little bit of cold water on it. I know. I just the- wonder if it's too little too late. Like what they're out of this tournament. We don't know that, like I just said, top four doesn't necessarily feel realistic. So if they're bringing him in until June, it's, it's for what? Um, like I'm not saying way- don't go out and get good players, but uh, if you're an Arsenal fan, it's like, God, where was this? You know, four but but Andrew, Andrew, Real Madrid's reticence to sell, that may not be, um, that may not be the, the, the case come the summer. Think if he does well at Arsenal, they can demand a massive fee from, from Arsenal. The pressure will be on Arsenal to buy him mm-hmm. and Madrid need money. Real Madrid and Barcelona have no money. They have no cash right now. They need money. So I'm not sure that this won't happen. By the way, you mentioned Ozil before. So he talked about, you know, on his way out to Fenerbahce, he's, I forget the exact line he used, but it was something to the effect of, I will always be an Arsenal player. Like he, he clearly, even through whatever hell he's been in uh, and whatever doghouse he's been in over the last several months, he still, at least publicly, is holding his time with Arsenal in some regard. And rightfully so. Like we're, we're, he's remembered a lot by what's happened in the recent past, which is not glorious, but mm. he had some really good moments at that club and was, I think for, you know, at least more than half of it, was a, a pretty good player for them. Uh, but I do wonder with kind of the low point in which he's leaving them, you, you, we've been talking, JJ, about the three elements of the statement as someone leaves a club. What is he getting from them? Is he going to be welcomed back? Will he be wished well? Will he be thanked for his effort? This could be an 0 for 3. Do, yeah. has, has a statement even been put out? I'm curious. It depends. I, I think, so. yeah, from the club, he's going to be 0 for 3, for sure. Like, there's, there's, there's no way he's going to get any one of those uh, boxes ticked. Among some of the fans, they'll blame the board for, for things uh, and how they worked out. A lot of the fans blame him and for not taking the pay cut and just the way he acted. Um, yeah, I think he might be over three on this one. By the way, who's going to pay Gunnar Soros's wages now? <laughs> he can't continue to do that? Is that some sort of uh, financial fair play regulation to have? I, a- I, I just imagine Gunnar Soros at the airport. So uh, this is goodbye, Mesut. Don't worry, champ. I'm still going to cover your wages. Thank you, Messel. Yeah, I picture like the final scene of when Michael Scott is leaving the office and he's <laughs> in the airport and, and Pam comes running in to give him a hug uh, through security. That's Gunnar Soros. <laughs> <laughs> Sprinting past security to hug Mesut as he leaves. Uh, so I do have a statement here, JJ, from Arsenal. Technical director Inu said, we thank Mesut for his huge contribution to, uh, to Arsenal. He has made more than 250 appearances, played in three FA Cup final wins, and has given the fans and everyone at the club many wonderful moments on the pitch since he joined us in 2013. We would like to thank him and his team for their professionalism during our recent negotiations. Mm. I know everyone associated with Arsenal will join me in wishing Mesut and his family the best of health, success, and happiness in the next chapter of his career. So he's thanks for his contribution, which we can put down his effort. He was wished well for the future. He was not welcome back. No, at least not in that. There's also, there's another statement here from Mikel Arteta. I don't know if I, if I, I uh, want to read the whole thing, but again, I no, don't definitely about don't. him being welcomed back, but he is wished well with Fenerbahce. So, all right, two for three. I think most of us would take two for three, right? <laughs> That's not bad. I love uh, this deep dive on, uh, on uh, managerial sacking statements and player leaving statements. Yeah, yeah. Two for three is pretty good. Yeah. Uh, all right. Last one here, Manchester city, JJ, they, they appeared to be like, this was one of those, like you said, you weren't really paying attention to Arsenal Southampton. I wasn't really paying attention to uh, Manchester city, Cheltenham town but then like you start getting text Cheltenham Andrew Cheltenham. Right, I don't know because there's a Cheltenham where I grew up I wasn't paying attention to Cheltenham well because 
I don't know. There was a Cheltenham, like the town next to me where I grew up and people right, okay. pronounce things differently. I don't know. Why, why do you do this, JJ? Why? Um, but like, then you start getting text messages of our, our city actually going to lose this. And then you kind of perk up in the end. No, they were not going to lose. They scored three goals in the final 10 plus minutes. And uh, the scoreboard looks like it was a walk in the park. It was anything but though. No, it, it, it was, um, I caught the last 15 minutes and Cheltenham were just so well organized. They, they passed the ball really well. I loved, I have to say, I love what Pep Guardiola said afterwards. He kind of just said, hey, you know, it's, it, it's not such a big deal for us to come and play here. Cheltenham is where we came from. We played in small pitches like this. We played on mucky pitches. We played with small, in small stadiums. We know what it's like to come from, from here to, to where we are right now. Um, I actually, re- I'm not being funny. I, I thought it was re- a nice uh, tribute that he paid. Like people should stop getting so um, kind of struck by these grounds and these places. Like, you know, turn off the Premier League for a minute. This is what real football is for the majority of people. Oh, of uh, course. Yeah, but I think we forget that. We all think it's pristine pitches and the burnabout. It's not the case. Prawn sandwiches and champagne. Um, well, that, that's what it's like for you, Andrew, because we know the way you like to live. But um, yeah, no, it was um, it was a good performance in the end by City to not, you know, going one nil down and, and falling behind. You're thinking cup upset on a difficult surface, but they played pretty well. Foden played extremely well. Um, yeah, it was it was uh, it was a good result. And uh, unfortunately, what's looming above City now in terms of the league, in particular, is the Kevin De Bruyne injury. Yeah, not they're gonna so- need they're gonna need more from Phil Foden. Yeah, um, with De Bruyne out now out for I, I've seen a couple reports. Some say two weeks, some say four to six weeks. Uh, I would tend to lean towards the latter. And, you know, these muscle injuries are, are tricky and you want to make sure you don't rush a player back. Otherwise, it can completely undermine their season altogether. Uh, Pep said we have the players. Phil, as in Foden, has to be Phil, not uh, not be Kevin De Bruyne, because there is only one Kevin De Bruyne. Right. If Look, if Phil is Phil, <laughs> then that's not bad because you're right. He is playing very well. And I'm kind of curious now he, you know, he's malleable. I feel like he can play a number of different roles for them. And I'm sort of curious to see him get like a solid, consistent run here for them. What is this? His medical examination. This is unbelievable. Dr. Dr. Andrew is in the house. So De Bruyne is injury. Oh, these can be tricky. And uh, Phil Foden, he is malleable. Jeez. What do you mean? What's Dr. Andrew about this? You, said, you sound like a physio. I don't know. You Just the way you said malleable, all I could think of was like a flexible Phil Foden, like a stretch Armstrong. No, I mean, he's versatile. Is that better? Oh, right. Sorry. Sorry. That's better. Yeah. But look, Andrew, the, 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 the stats are that, you know, City can survive absences from KDB because in 1819, uh, sorry, 18, yeah, the season 1819, if you remember, De Bruyne was gone for a long period of time there and he was, uh, you know, City put up a, a brilliant season to pip Liverpool by a point to the title. So they can absorb it. But just in, again, again I don't want to go back to it, but in this season of low block and in, when you're going to have games like the Aston Villa game at home, you need someone who can pick the lock, someone who can, can open up uh, chances. And they have Bernardo Silva, they have Phil Foden. They should be okay, but... Um, Kevin De Bruyne is such a big part of, of what they are when they're at their very best. So I guess we'll just have to wait and see with that one. Yeah, a couple quick things to look out for with them. Uh, Sergio Aguero announced that he has tested positive for COVID-19. So he is out currently, uh, which means, you know, like the difference, I guess, when De Bruyne was out a couple, a couple seasons ago and City were able to survive it, they, ha- they still had – that was sort of peak City. 
in terms of some of their other attacking talent specifically. That has not really been the case for them this season. So, you know, Ferran Torres, I saw scored a couple uh, in this one for City. We'll see if, if he now kicks on and, and picks up some of the slack. Raheem Sterling has not had, like we've talked about, the typical Raheem Sterling season. Maybe he'll now switch into gear. So they're going to call on other guys, and Phil Foden, of course, being one of them, to, uh, to pick up the slack. And we'll see if these guys are capable of doing it because, God, we know that De Bruyne is counted on for so much for that club. All right. Uh, before we get out here, JJ, a couple quick notes uh, from around Europe and specific, uh, specifically with an eye towards Americans, because this was a busy and pretty successful weekend for us soccer players playing abroad. I'm going to just run through some of the, okay. of the things that happen and you stop whenever right. uh, Mark McKenzie and Brendan Aronson, the Philadelphia union duo made their respective debuts for Gank and Salzburg. Uh, Aronson came on as a sub looked good, drew a second yellow, uh, to uh, give Salzburg a man advantage over or for the final 10 minutes. Um, also, nice first game for McKenzie. Uh, he may not see it that way. They, uh, they lost to top-of-the-table club Bruges. Hmm. Um, but McKenzie uh, completed 81% of his passes, eight clearances. So not bad for a, an initial start. Played all 90 minutes for them in that game. No, that's very good. Yep. Uh, Tyler Adams scoring, J.J., for RB Leipzig. Tap-in goal, but uh, – Nice to see. No, it was, it, I think it was a little harder than a tap-in. He, he had to get there quickly, and he, he slotted it at home. Um, just a quick one on this. He didn't start in center mid, midfield. He did not play a six or, or as an eight. Um, and I just saw a conversation on Twitter about, would we be disappointed if he turns out to be a kind of jack-of-all-trades kind of player in the Bundesliga that's not going to be a center midfielder? How will, what's the knock-on effect for the U.S. men's national team if he's not starting there for his club? My answer would be, I still think he can slot into a, a midfield, a central midfield position for the U.S. men's national team, regardless of where he plays for his club. And um, I, who cares if he ends up being a utility guy that can play in a number of positions? Um, Luis Enrique was one of the classic ones, the former Spanish player. And then, of course, there was John O'Shea, for Manchester United, who carved out a great career, being able to play in 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 in, in oh my God, in numerous positions. So I wouldn't get too down about the fact that he's not necessarily starting where we all maybe wanted him to. Uh, West McKinney scoring for Juventus. What a game he had! He looked like one of the best players out there. This is really we were curious about how this was going to go when he went there. You know, we hold him in a certain regard, but like there is the American brain, American inferiority inferiority complex where you like you wonder are, are we sure he can thrive at Juve and like we don't maybe we need to just start recalibrating our minds that these guys like this is not the U.S. of old where like we think that these guys have a ceiling at a certain type of club uh -uh, no not anymore he, he had a, he had a great performance he, he linked the play he made some a lot of surging runs and um, his goal was a nice downward header um, very, very good goal. Uh, and um, he got man of the match in Gazetta, the Italian newspaper, which is no, I mean, he was, he was, I know it's against Bologna, but still it was, that's, that's no small feat. Um, and they've, he's been, he's been fated in Italian newspapers. He's been called the real deal several times in Corriella della Spore. Um, and he is going to be signed permanently is the news we're hearing from, um, of course, the only person you can hear it from, Fabrizio Romano, who breaks every news. Um, by the way, if your wife, Andrew, is going to get pregnant again, the news will be broken to you by Fabrizio Romano. That oh. is now the rule. Interesting. Um, he's, yeah, yeah. Uh, he's talking about it being in the neighborhood of 18 and a half million euros. McKinney, of course, is there on loan still, technically from Schalke. 
but yeah, it looks like that uh, that's going to be made permanent, uh, which is great. Josh Sargent also scoring for Werder Bremen. A brilliant goal, sharp turn, uh, drills it. Uh, some questions over the goalkeeper, but I'm not going to talk about that. Sargent needed a goal. He got his goal. He does what he did. He did best, or I think he does best. He spun and he got his shot off. Um, I still think he's not going to be an out-and-out striker. He's not going to be a 20-goal-a-season guy. He may only be a 10 to 12 to 15-goal-a-season guy, but he will be a very good link man. And I think that is going to be huge for the U.S. men's national team. So I'm not as concerned that he what, he isn't scoring regularly, but I, I, you know, I was glad to see him score at the weekend, of course. And then uh, even a few other guys, J.J., um, who I didn't see these games, but from everything I heard and read, they played well. Matt Miazga, John Brooks, uh, Eric Palmer-Brown, all playing well for the U.S. And Julian Green playing well, scoring a goal. He's actually had a pretty good season. You can't help but wonder, like, he's one of these guys who came up so young. We thought this is another one of these, you know, he's the future type guys. Then he faded. And now he's kind of having – he's still relatively young. I think he's only 25. Um, so he's kind of having a bit of a career resurgence in the second division in Germany. So, you know – He may need top flight football considering the emergence of, of Hoppy at Schalke, considering yeah. other factors. He, but – there's no way Bearhalter should should discard him. No. No, not yet. And then uh, also wanted to mention that speaking of Bearhalter, he named his 25-man squad for the U.S.'s upcoming friendly against Trinidad and Tobago. Um, it's a it's entirely an MLS-based team. A couple things stand out to me from this one. You know, we always talk about the striker position and how like we we treat it like it's this you know this hole the is just waiting to be filled, and we talk about you know, Sargent and, and even Zardes. And we were even talking about Hoppy. Uh, uh, you know, if he can now fill it, we've, we've, we've seen Bearhalter experiment with uh, the false nine formation. But lo and behold, JJ, back on this squad, Josie Altador. And I'm sure, like, for whatever speculation others want to do about filling that spot, I'm sure in his mind, he still firmly believes, uh-uh, that is mine. There is no hole at that striker position. And so now... I feel like we haven't really seen him back in this team in a long time. It's been all about working in new young talent. Now he's being worked back in and like, this is his chance, I suppose, to kind of reprove himself to an American fan base that is a little bit skeptical. And for whatever reason is a little bit ready to move on to someone different. And he probably has other plans for that. So I'll be curious to see how he plays more than anyone on this team. Yeah. Um, and there's been, you know, there, as much as we talked about, there's a hole at striker, like say, Say Sebastian Soto settles in at Norwich and things start to click for him there and he starts scoring goals. You know, the competition could be there potentially. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm curious. I'm, curi I'm just curious because he's this like ever present that spans a few managers now at this point. And uh, you, wonder, you wonder how long that's going to last. Yeah. And then finally, one more note that I wanted to uh, make sure we mentioned here, and that was the U.S. women just taking apart Columbia 6-0. Uh, Katarina Macario scoring her first two goals for the U.S. women. The next time we'll see them in action is uh, a little under a month from now, the She Believes Cup. Uh, the front six, <laughs> the midfield and the front three of this U.S. men's national team. By the way, I, 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 don't, think, uh, I don't think Columbia had a shot on target. Um, this is the midfield, Andrew. Rose Lavelle, Julie Arts, Sam Hewis, Lynn, and then the front three, Lynn Williams, Macario, and Megan Rapino. I mean... Ridiculous. It's... No, they're so loaded. <laughs> they're so ridiculously loaded. I mean, 6-0 six, six is actually... Columbia got away lightly. <laughs> um, you know, it's funny because, like, 
you wonder how like the the def, their defense needs to get some practice like yeah. you know they don't see like the, i'm sure their greatest challenges probably are faced during like inter squad scrimmages but it, um, it, if you if you listen to or if you read some of the match reports after the game people were talking about how ali krieger got forward you know right <laughs> I, well that's what i saw cuz vlatko andonovsky he talked after the game about the defense and how they um how they kind of judge whether or not they played well. And all he's really able to base it on is how they combine with attacking play, like how they link up the attack, how they help start spawn and attack. There's not really much to judge them on in terms of actual defending. It, it's tough. It's tough. What are they supposed to do? Not play games? No, I mean, it's, of course. It's, it's difficult to, to assess until they come up against some sterner opposition, hopefully in the She Believes Cup. No, I think it's great. I want, I want them to beat everybody every you know this this is fun watching them play right now uh that is about it today for this one jj on what turned into this was a regularly scheduled podcast but it kind of turned into a frank lampard emergency podcast uh my last note before we get out uh, i know we were talking about shows like getting suggestions from people yeah um i had never seen any of the karate kid movies which is which is really my bad and entirely my fault and i apologize for it um, but my wife was watching cobra kai on netflix and Ooh. i caught like part of one of them and i was like mm, this i could be in on this so i went back and just for the first time in my life watched karate kids one and two i absolutely loved them right just to tee yourself up just the perfect amount of 80s cheesiness uh it was just fantastic and uh and so now i'm like two and a half seasons in uh or a season and a half into cobra kai and i love it Again, it's just like the right amount of 80s cheesiness, except like transferred into modern day society. And it's just, I'm so into it. And I'm thinking of taking up karate. Oh God, please don't do that. Um, Look, you so, know, when I, go, when I go in on a show, I go all in. I only know one way. Yeah, you're going to take up karate the same way you took up indoor rowing for a brief period That's three right. years ago. Yeah, how's that going? Um, Kevin from Believe Land, uh, he left an iTunes review saying, Cobra Kai, watch it. Um, keep Tahoe Blue. Um, which I hope is not a political statement. He said we should watch Yellowstone uh, with uh, Kevin Costner. And uh, Sabretooth Tom said we should watch Bosch. It's kind of like The Wire, but not as good. So keep your iTunes reviews slash winter watching coming. Thank you for those. Yeah, but Cobra Kai, man. Super into it. All right. All right. This was fun, my friend. Uh, our thanks to Craig Burley for hopping on the pod earlier to talk about Frank Lampard and the Premier League. My thanks to you for waking up early on a Monday morning, getting this out to the people. We will have a, uh, an additional podcast this week because once again, for whatever reason, Tottenham and Liverpool have decided to play both caught offside cups during the week. It's really yes. sad. Um, and, and I should say also Tottenham are playing Wickham in the FA cup today. I don't know what has happened yet. Just know though, that if Tottenham lost, I'm horrified by it. All right. That's all you need to know. I want them to win this tournament. I want them to go deep. I want a deep cup run. And if they lose, just know I'm in a terrible mood. All, all right. right. Uh, good stuff, man. To you, I say, check you later fun boy. See ya. Take care, man. You've been listening to the caught offside soccer podcast.